doing summer in the Psalms. Um, my hands are pretty sweaty because it's not cold in here. So if I drop the mic, that's unintentional. It's just a little slippery today. Um, yeah, we'll be in Psalm 91. I'll try to keep it kind of short because it's not cold in here at all. Um, we'll just go ahead and start reading. Psalm 91. Uh, we don't know who wrote it. It's unaccredited to anyone. That's just a little bonus piece of information. doesn't matter at all. Verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper uh, and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in your ways. They will bear, uh, they'll bear you up in their hands, Uh, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent will trample down. Because he has loved me, this is God speaking, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Now, we've been going through the Psalms, and we're kind of at the point now where we're nearing the end. The Psalms are about to get a lot shorter, uh, and pretty much they're all, to a certain extent, saying the same thing now. You know what I mean? Where they're all, like, really encouraging and really happy, and they're all, you know, the Lord is my strength and my salvation. And um, The interesting thing, though, is, is this Psalm is very, uh, very widely quoted. Um, in fact... I had a, when I went to Bible college, I had a professor, uh, well, actually, I, didn't ever, I never took his class because he was a, kind of a chump, but he, uh, I was talking to him one time, and, and he used a couple of these verses to, uh, to support his argument that each of us has our own guardian angel, and I was like, that's so silly, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of people in the Bible that died, like, did their guardian angel just sleep through their alarm? Like, that's, that's a really silly thing, I, I think, to believe, um, like I said, it's kind of a it's kind of a feel good psalm. The problem with it, though, the problem with with how almost encouraging and happy and like nothing bad is going to happen to you. The problem with that uh, is that it seems unrealistic. The problem with it is that we know as Christians that times are not always great. That that bad things happen. That we go through uh, suffering. We have pain. There are bad things in this world. A, a couple weeks ago. Ben kind of talked about um, why do good things happen to bad people. And he talked a little bit about why bad things, or why good things happen to bad, I always get confused on this one, why bad things happen to good people. He didn't talk about it very much, but, but why do bad things happen to good people? And a lot of people have that question. Um, I think it's kind of an unrealistic question, because if we're really honest with ourselves, none of us are really good people. You know, to think that bad things happen to everyone. You know, it's not just that it happens to good people or bad people. Bad things happen to everyone. But the question that's more realistic is, 
not why do bad things happen to good people, but why do terrible, awful, just disgustingly horrible things happen not to good people, but to people that love God, to people that really follow him, that really care about him, that have really spent their lives uh, getting to know him and serve him. And just it seems like there's just terrible things that happen to him. And you think if God is in control of everything, if God is in charge and and ultimately sovereign and, and overlooks all things, then why does he let such bad things happen to people? And the problem is, the problem is not that that happens, but the problem is that that happens, and then we read verses like this where it says things like, the Lord is my refuge, and, and uh, you know, where are some of them? Like, you will not be afraid of terror by night. Uh, no evil will befall you. No plague will come near your tent. And you're thinking, is that true? I mean, is that really true? When I read this, how do I, how do I understand what it's saying? Because I know bad things have happened to me. I know bad things have happened to other Christians. Uh, you look at, I mean, if you've read the Bible before, you know, there's awful things that happen to people that were really a lot more faithful than I am. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is what is this psalm really saying? Because it can't be saying that. It, it can't be saying that bad things won't happen to us because that's just obviously not true. So the realistic thing to ask is, is well, what is God promising us? Because these seem like promises that everything's going to be okay, that it's, it's not, we're not going to suffer, we're not going to go through pain, and, and that can't be the promise of God. That can't be the promise of God, because if it is, then God is lying to us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, if you will, just pray with me real quick. Jesus, we thank you um, for who you are. We thank you for everything you've done in our lives, God. Uh, we pray this morning as we just study your word that uh, you reveal to us who you are, the things that you've promised us, the, the ways in which you care about us, God, um, that we could really just grow in our understanding of you. Lord, that you speak through this, this morning and, and that we can all grow together in our relationship with you. In your name, amen. <clears throat> um, in Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel, um, they both present these offerings to God, and, and Abel's offering pleases God. That's what the Bible says. And uh, it makes Cain so upset that his was rejected and Abel's was accepted by God that uh, within the next 24 hours, Cain kills his brother, uh, just murders him over a sacrifice. Uh, Jeremiah, he is famous for being called the weeping prophet. He spent his entire life telling people, hey, we're about to get taken over by another country. You guys just need to go with it. You guys need to just follow God and and forget about your nation because it's going to be destroyed. Uh, He goes through these terrible things. He's thrown in a pit. He's imprisoned. He's just left to starve to death, all sorts of things. And the last time you ever see him in the book of Lamentations, he is sitting in what was formerly Jerusalem. It's burned to the ground. Uh, He's with a bunch of people just sitting in ashes, waiting to starve to death. Uh, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, he gets saved, and so he gets so excited about it that he goes out to to tell um, all of the Jews, uh, and he just proclaims the story of the history of Israel, all all the way from the beginning, uh, uh, talking about Abraham, to when Jesus came to save him, and, and he's proclaiming the story, and they drag him through the city, and they stone him to death. Uh, in fact, Jesus, who is the, the foundation of what we believe in, 
um, was actually quoted this psalm by Satan uh, when he was in the wilderness, when he's, when he's being tempted, and he's standing on the cliff, and Satan says, if you just jump off the edge, angels will come and grab you because you should not, uh, was it, lest you dash your foot on the stone. Um, Jesus, who is what we believe in, went through suffering that we'll never understand, lived a life just glorifying God to, an, to a way that we never can, uh, and died a more brutal death than, I mean, almost anyone in history. The reality is, is that terrible things happen to people that are faithful to God. And by reading through these stories and, and thinking about these and really connecting with, these aren't just stories, but these are actual people, like, Every single disciple was, was killed for what they believed in. In fact, Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to die the same way Jesus did because he didn't think he was worthy. And you think that's a real guy who had a family, who had a mom, he had a wife, he had, I mean, he had a job, he paid his taxes, he was a, just a regular guy. He actually had nails driven through his wrists and his feet upside down until he couldn't breathe any longer and then he died. I mean, that's a guy that was very faithful to God. That's a guy that that Jesus said, I will build my church on you. And you think about that, and you're like, man, what the heck is God promising to us? Like, just honestly, you read this, and you're like, I don't know. What's interesting, the the psalmist, um, because he's an Israelite, and because he has an understanding of history, and, and in probably a way, we don't, he's, he's appealing to these things we call covenants. Um, I'm going to explain a little bit about what that is. It's kind of a complex thing. Uh, it's, it's a way in which we understand the Bible as a whole, uh, these terms covenants. You're probably familiar with the term covenant uh, as like an agreement. Um, our culture is more contractual, so we have contracts. We don't really go by covenants. That's kind of a, an older thing, but... The way the Old Testament works, and, and, and the New Testament as well, um, there are covenants. There are these promises that God makes to his people that kind of withstand the test of time. A contract, I mean, not a contract, a covenant is essentially just an agreement between two people uh, that is symbolized by blood. Where it comes from, if, if you were growing up in Israelite, you would understand this. It's kind of a foreign idea to us, but what would happen is... is if two countries were warring against each other, um, the country that won would take all of the people that survived, all the you know, women and children and the guys that weren't killed in battle, and they would say, all right, here's the deal. If you, well, sometimes they killed all of them, but sometimes they didn't, and they said, if, here's the deal. If you will give us your sons for armies, if you will pay taxes, if you will abide by the laws that we give you, um, We'll let you kind of govern yourselves. We'll let you keep your culture. Um, and most importantly, we'll give you military protection. Uh, you saw that, I mean, throughout history, it kind of still happens today, but you saw that with Rome. Rome was a big one. Uh, Alexander the Great they had a very similar mentality. But this was something that's very true to the, to the Middle East, to the Near East, kind of that area where the Israelites are at this time. And basically, what they would do is they would take one guy from the, they would take the king from the winning nation and, and then someone to represent the losing nation. And what they would do is they would take a bull and they would cut the bull down the middle, just, you know, right across the stomach. And they would set one side here and one side here. And obviously there's 
blood and guts and all that stuff in the middle. And they would have the guy that was from the losing nation walk through it. Basically symbolizing, so long as we keep this agreement up, you won't kill us. But as soon as we break our agreement, what happened to this bull is going to happen to us. We're going to be killed. So it's not necessarily an agreement in the sense that both sides compromise. It's an agreement in the sense that one side sets the rules and the other side says, okay, I'll do that. That sounds better than dying. Um, so that's the idea of a covenant and, and what happens in the first time, well, not the first time we see covenant, but one of the first times you see the covenant in the Bible was with Abraham. You, you may have heard of the Abrahamic covenant. The story of Abraham, of course, um, he's kind of just living in sin, doing his own thing, and God says, hey, leave uh, I, there's this land that you're going to go to that I will give to you. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. You know, the father Abraham had many sons. And, and the promise was, you get this land, you get all these people, but most importantly is that through your family, the Messiah will come. Through your name, through your children and your children's children, and, and through your line, the, ultimately the person that will save us all from our sin will be born. And that was the promise that was given to Abraham. And, and so in Genesis 15, you see they do the whole bull thing where they cut it in half and Abraham walks through it. Uh, he agrees to this covenant that God made with him. And so throughout all of Israel's history, they look back to Abraham. I mean, Abraham is considered the father of three major faiths, but uh, especially Judaism and Christianity, he is seen as that is the promise that God originally gave to us, the promise that a Messiah would come through this family, uh, through this, all this land that was promised to him, through the, the huge nation that's going to become the Israelites. That is the, the promise in which every other promise in the Bible works through. They, they constantly, uh, if you read Psalm 78, if you've, been, if you've been keeping up with the, some of the Psalms, Psalm 78 and Psalm 89, I believe it is, um, they both appeal to these covenants of, uh, throughout history, these agreements that God has made. And there's, there's plenty of covenants that he makes. He makes one with Noah. He makes, uh, God does. He makes one with David. There are a lot of these big covenants, but they're all based around, well, the Noahic covenant isn't, but they're all based around this agreement with Abraham that one day a Messiah would come through this line and save all of us. And so you kind of start to say, well, what, what does that have to do with what we're reading here? Uh, in the Psalms. Well, if you, if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 6, you don't have to, but I would like it if you did. Um, in Hebrews chapter 6, the, the author of Hebrews is writing to uh, Jewish Christians, guys who were formerly Jews and then converted uh, after the ministry of Christ. And the reason I do this is because we, we kind of sometimes don't understand, we don't think in the way that the Israelites thought because we're so uh, far removed from that culture. But in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, uh, the author writes, For when God made the promises to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So, you know, in the court of law, um, you stick your hand on a stack of Bibles and you say, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, God. The idea is that the highest authority that we can answer to is God's authority. And so the idea is, is 
God is making this promise that is a very big deal. He's making this promise that basically will give hope to all of his people forever. And so when he's making this promise, he doesn't just say, Abraham, I promise you. He actually swears by his own name so that we can be confident that God swore in his own name he would do this. Which means, basically speaking, if God were to break it, if God were to say, never mind, then that makes God a liar. That makes God just uh, an Indian giver. I don't know if that's offensive or not. but um, And it would completely destroy everything that we believe about God. Now, the, God's, the Bible tells us God's not capable of lying, so it even is more of an encouragement that if he swears by his own name that those promises are true. He goes on to say, uh, the author does, verse 10, or not verse 10, verse 14, um, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. Uh, and so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise, talking about Abraham, for men swear by one greater than themselves, uh, and with them an oath is given as confirmation as an end to every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, the heirs of the promise would be us, would be anyone who uh, believes in Christ who was promised to save us, uh, that the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, which is the, the plan to save us, interpose with an oath so that no two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie We who have taken refuge have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. The hope we have is an anchor to the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Um, The order of Melchizedek thing, the the Christ being a high priest, that's an extremely Jewish thought. it would take a long time to kind of explain it. But the idea is that as a priest kind of comes and sacrifices and bulls and animals so that the Jews could be seen as sinless before God, that, that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that, that Christ is going to be the sacrifice that makes us clean before God, that takes away our iniquity, that makes us righteous so that we can approach God. And so what the author is saying here is that God swore by himself so that we could know that Jesus ultimately paid the price that will save us. If anyone ever asks, well, how do you know that Jesus' blood is enough to save you? It's because God promised it. It's because God, over and over and over and over again, throughout the Old Testament, said Jesus, well, he didn't say Jesus in the Old Testament, but he said the Messiah is coming, and through that blood, I promise you, will save you. And that's why the author of Hebrews says that this, this anchor to our soul, the hope set before us, that hope is, is that through salvation, through knowing Christ, through the blood that has been poured out for us, that we can one day live in heaven with God with no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more death. That one day all of these things that are terrible, all these bad things that happen to us will cease to exist. And so you go back to uh, Psalm 91. You go back and, and, and look at these things. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High 
will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. What the psalmist is getting at is not... It's interesting because he, he keeps talking about death. He keeps talking about these arrows flying over us, and though we see hundreds and ten thousands of people falling at our sides, and we see plagues coming to our tents, and all these things, all these things are about death. All, all of this stuff is, is him talking about, is God going to protect us from death? Are, are we going to live long, luxurious lives where, where we don't see pain, we don't see suffering, we don't die? Because realistically, this guy was in battle. I mean, he's, he's talking about arrows. He's an Israelite. Israelites were always at war. Realistically, this guy fought in wars, whoever wrote this. But what he's appealing to, based on the promises he knows, based on the, the, the covenants of Abraham, based on uh, everything that he believes in, what he's saying is, even through all of this, even though every day that I go to battle, I'm my life is at risk, even though every day I I might die, it might be my last day. I know this, that regardless of what happens, God is my salvation. In fact, if you go through and look at this, uh, you will not be, uh, verse 5, you will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, um, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. Though a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Uh, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord uh, the refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you. He's, it's an incredible mindset because this guy is probably more... He's probably closer to death than any of us are on a regular day. And yet, he's not afraid. He's worshiping God. This is is a psalm worshiping God saying, even though I'm really close to dying all of the time, God, you are good. God, I'm not afraid because I know what you've promised us. And so I look at that and I look specifically at verse 14 on, when, when it's no longer the psalmist writing, but it's God responding to, to this psalmist saying, you know, I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of what comes because I know what comes after is greater. I know uh, that through salvation, through living in righteousness in heaven with you, God, that there is, there is no pain and suffering. There's nothing bad that happens. And, and through that, God responds he says, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. When he calls upon me, I will answer, and I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him. Uh, with a long life, I'll satisfy him and let him see my salvation. And so, realistically, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what you guys are called to. I don't know, I mean, with where we live, with, with how great, or I guess, how great of a place we live, uh, realistically, none of us will die for our faith. Realistically, most of us will live to see our grandchildren and, and, and we'll have positive lives. But the thing is, is that we're not promised that. There is no promise in the Bible that, that you'll get to see your children, get to see your grandchildren. There's, there's no promise that life is going to be great and you'll live long forever and, and you'll get to retire and you'll get to live on the beach and things like that. There's no promise of that. And, and even though we live in a culture in which that's not a totally unrealistic thing to believe, maybe it's not true. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? 
But the one thing that we can stand confident in, the one thing we can know, because God has promised us this by himself, unto himself he, he appealed, uh, through the blood of Christ, we'll make it. And I can't think of anything more encouraging. I can't think of anything to set my hope on higher than the fact that regardless of what I do, regardless of how much I screw up and of the terrible things I've done, I'll make it. You know, there's, there's this long uh, debate over whether or not you can lose your salvation, and, and regardless of what you believe on that, um, the reality is, is that I've done just about everything I can do to lose it. I mean, realistically, everything wrong that you can do, I've done. I've made as many mistakes as anyone else. I've, I've done about everything to get God to not love me anymore as I can. But because God has sworn unto himself and not unto me, not unto what I do, but unto what he does, I'll make it. I'll make it to heaven. And so if we put our faith in Christ, if we believe in, in the work that he's done, regardless of what happens in our lives, regardless of, of, of how difficult things go, I mean, I mean, you think of a terrible story. Job loses everything he owns. He loses all of his kids. His wife tells him, curse God and die. That guy made it. That guy made it to heaven. Like, yeah, life sucked for him. That was really bad. That's a bad day for you to lose literally all of your money and all of your children and all of your health. But that guy made it. And I think of all of the stupid stuff I've done, all the times that I said, you know what, God, I don't care about you. I don't want to follow you anymore. I'm done with this. And every time, I've come back to his goodness, and he's accepted me with arms wide open because he promised he always would. And so, we'll make it. I mean, regardless of what happens, we will make it. And I can't think of anything more exciting to celebrate. I can't think of anything uh, more encouraging in my life as I continue to do dumb stuff all the time. So let's, let's pray and then let's worship God thanking him for, for what he's done for us.